You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over the U.S. Each week we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, on the show today, we have Adam Davidson. Hey, Adam, how's it going? It is great. I am great. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Well, I've known you for all of, I don't know, minutes, because we just chatted a little bit before we push record, and I already think you're a super cool guy. So um, I think the listeners are in for a treat. Well, I, I hope that they think that I'm as cool as you do, and <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad to be here and you know talk about bikes. Yeah, I, I think there's like three topics I want to hit. Bikepacking is something that I've seen tons of photos of you doing. So I want to talk about that and also um, how you're able to get your daughter to join you on some of these adventures, which I think is so cool. So I'm pretty excited for you uh, to talk about that. Yeah, it's a big part of our lives. And I, I look forward to sharing that. And it does not come free. And I mean, like, spiritually, like, it is investment. So I definitely look forward to, to elaborating on that. Cool, cool. And then the other topic is where you live. Um, and we've talked a little bit about that before we push record. So let me start out by asking you, um, actually, let me back up a step and ask you how you got into cycling as an adult. Cycle, it didn't start as an adult for me. I started on, I was riding bikes since I was, you know, five or whatever on a you know, coaster brake. 20 inch mm-hmm. as a child. And then I had a, you know, department store mountain bike. And as a kid, it's, this is an important uh, fact for me is that I grew up really overweight. I was a very overweight kid and like obese. I got, I still loved mountain biking and I did it, you know, in that physical state mm-hmm. as a kid. When I was 13, I got my first real mountain bike, a specialized rock hopper Ooh, nice. as a gift from my grandfather. And it was like this, it was like the big deal gift that I'd been wanting for years. And uh, two years later, after riding that, um, I was still, you know, in the physical condition that I was in. I, like, struggled to ever, you know, shed weight. I was a big dude as a kid. And instead of summer camp one year, I went on this this trip to Colorado with that same mountain bike, with, with the rock hopper. Spent a month out here. When I was doing that, I realized that this is the place that I wanted to end up. Mm. I wanted to live out here. I fell in love with this whole area. And, you know, 15-year-old Adam goes back to Massachusetts where I grew up. And, you know, over the next two years, I'm still just existing. I ride bikes a ton, but I am not a fit young cyclist. That's not who I was, period, end of story. I was like, Adam Davidson, video games, junk food, happens to ride mountain bikes a lot. (laughs) Then when I was 17, this is where the bike kind of took a twist for me Mm -hmm. you know so I started out where I just loved to ride bikes for fun I loved being in the woods I grew up with camping all these things and then when I was 17 something just switched in my brain and I started realizing like this is not who I this is I am who I want to be but this is not what I want to be and I wanted to be more fit and so I used the bicycle just completely transform myself and I rode all the time and I ended up eating different food and you know, I wasn't following a diet I was just doing what made sense to me and um, I lost 85 pounds in a year wow 
to the tune of this was started right after junior year through the summer friends that i hadn't seen over the summer did not know who i was when i went back to school and and it was literally all on the bike i mean hours and hours and hours every single day on the bike i worked in a bike shop at that time and that is when the bicycle like really cemented itself as a as like one of these central physical items that sparked my spirit and became part of my life. I mean, it was a piece of my life before, but since then the bike has been like a key aspect of my wellness in so many ways. I mean, before, before doing that, it was like my entertainment and thus some mental health Mm -hmm. and some physical health to a degree. And then after that transformation, it became like part of uh, everything. And, um, and then that, I mean, maybe it was a more mature perspective on what the bicycle was capable of beyond just being a toy or whatever. But then that is what brings me into, you know, the bicycle as an adult. I was 17. You know, I lost a ton of weight, still being the person I am today mentally. But, you know, then, you know, left Massachusetts, went to college in Colorado, rode bikes, raced for the team in northern Colorado. Um, and then... The rest is history. Wow, that is so that's, an epic lifestyle change, especially to have as a teenager, and then to have it stick throughout the rest of your life. Like that is, that should be a book right there. <laughs> well, I mean, I can sum it up, which is if somebody wants to change their life, whether it's to lose weight or anything, if they're going to change something that is a substantial habit, make sure that whatever you're changing it to is something you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. That's what made it easy. It's easy to go ride your bike for four hours at a time. And boy, is that privilege. I mean, there's a lot of layers of privilege in the, the, the inspiration for doing that. The fact that I had this mountain bike that I got to go out to Colorado. I mean, there's all these layers of things that I was really fortunate to get to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, getting to ride my bike forever was, was definitely one of those things, but, but yeah, make it fun. And it's, and it's easier. Mm -hmm. It's never easy. Yeah. And speaking of enjoying it, you know, right, so you're in Massachusetts, then you mm-hmm. end up in Colorado, and I do believe you are still in Colorado. Yes, I am in Colorado. And that brings me to the next question, uh, or the next statement. Tell us a bit about where you live and what cycling is like there. Yeah, so I live in good old Pueblo, Colorado. That's such a hard word to say, is it Pueblo? Pueblo? It's Pueblo. Pueblo. It's a Spanish word. And it means town. Town, okay. And Pueblo is an interesting little town in southern Colorado because it is right along the Arkansas and the Arkansas River, sorry, to elaborate for those that are unfamiliar. And it is an old steel town. It used to be like the Detroit of the West. And okay. uh, lots and lots of steel for major projects was was made here. I mean, like the Golden Gate Bridge, I'm pretty sure the steel for that was made in Pueblo, Colorado and lots of rail for the railroads throughout the United States. Uh, In the 80s, there was a big bust where um, a lot of those jobs were lost, production went way down, and so Pueblo experienced the downturn similar to what happened in like the Rust Belt of different areas where there's fewer jobs and things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the rest of Colorado has had, you know, different types of industry and different types of growth, and Pueblo has had this very blue-collar, hard-working identity for a very long time. And so it's this really unique microcosm of lots of different cultures, very like tightly knit pride in like being here for a lot of people. 
And a lot of people that live in Pueblo have been here for a very long time. Mm -hmm. There's this really gritty, cool, like try hard mentality in Pueblo. And the cycling scene here ties into that in its own way. Because Pueblo doesn't have, you know, like doctors and lawyers and rich people that have, you know, three different $4,000 bikes and whatever, you know, that's just, it doesn't have that type of cycling culture. It has these like pockets of people that get out a lot. And then, you know, a few small like circles that surround each of the bike shops. And the people that started those bike shops are the same people that, you know, 15, 20 years ago spent hundreds of hours out at Lake Pueblo State Park building trails. Oh, nice. Okay. There was this hardcore group of, of people that were volunteering their time. And it's the same organ, same same group of people that uh, effectively started the current nonprofit of Southern Colorado Trail Builders. Um, and they, they talked with the state park way back then and said, hey, can we build some bike trails out here? And they said, and in a nutshell, yeah, that'd be great. And so now we have a 45-mile trail system, single track. Wow. Within seven miles of downtown. It's arguably one of the densest trail systems of its length uh, in the state. It almost all overlooks this huge reservoir that is part of the Arkansas River because it's a, it's a dammed reservoir. And it's all right there. And it's this varied terrain of big, chunky, rocky, little mini canyon things and then long, flowing, single track. There's this, there's this culture of people that will get out there and just, you know, put long days in. And you'll, you'll run across somebody and they might be a person who is out there for a five-mile ride on a department store bike. Or another person who's been riding all day and has put in 70 miles out there or something. And you never really know the difference mm. when you're riding out at Lake Pueblo. It's like I said, the scene here is, is a different animal than a lot of other places that I've ever lived. So you have that mountain bike scene, that kind of like gritty do-it-yourself history to the mountain bike scene here, where you had this group of folks that would just, they were just going out there and working as volunteers, um, building these trails. And then on the flip side of that, Pueblo has a like pretty thriving triathlete scene, especially for a city of this size, which mm. I think is was really surprising when we first moved here. Um, that really stood out to me. There's a lot of very diehard uh, like triathlon endurance athletes, like Iron Men, Iron Iron Woman, that really get after it. And I'm not part of that scene, but man, do I have respect for them. Mm -hmm. so those are the folks that I will recognize, and I'll see them out there whether I'm on a run or a ride or whatever, and they've been going forever. And then we have the Trans America route. If you're not familiar with the Transamerica route, it's like, you know, just for your listeners, it's one of the most popular coast-to-coast -coast bicycle touring routes. Mm -hmm. It sure is a popular one. Pueblo is like the biggest city on the whole route. Oh. And this is what I've been told. So, I mean, Pueblo is, you know, one of the biggest cities on there. It's almost right at the center. And the route practically goes right through the center of town. When you're on the Trans Am route, you're going to go past, like you go past Lake Pueblo, you go uh, right along the Arkansas, you go, I mean, you see, you see pretty much the whole town. The crazy thing about Pueblo, and I feel like this is one of the things that sums up Pueblo's identity for cyclists, is that you have people in Pueblo that, that ride bikes and love bikes that have no idea that that even exists, whether they ride road bikes or not. I mean, that is an epic thing to have in your town, that the course, that that route goes right through town. Right. You have people that have no idea that it exists. And then you have like diehards that are like, you know, 
have hosted 500 warm showers. So that's Pueblo um, in, in the different aspects of the, of the bike culture here. Um, we also have some neat stuff happening right now where uh, there's a guy in town who's been doing a whole lot of work to get local people who are either uh, transient or unhoused at the moment onto bikes so they have transportation so they can get jobs. Mm-hmm. And he's been having a lot of success doing that. And that's something that I've really been respecting um seeing again the bicycle being used for more than just the toy like it really is giving people agency mm-hmm. well i want to clarify it, did you actually yeah. say 45 miles or four or five miles 45 so that's as in five m- less than 50 yeah that's mind-blowing because that's an epic trail system for that to exist and that someone's maintaining it i'm assuming that you still have a crew that is volunteer that's keeping that alive. The land at the state park out here, um, the trails were were built with permission, but the ownership of that land is really complicated. Mm. And so what had happened is that essentially the permission was granted, but it wasn't from the right group. And no one really realized that until much uh, later. Sure. And so, so the trails, it's not illegal to be on them, but you know, it was, they technically didn't exist technically. And so the organization that does maintain those trails now, which is Southern Colorado Trail Builders, uh, and that's I'm the current president of that. And and that's that being said, there's been a lot of people who have put in a lot of hard work mm-hmm. to get everything to where it is now. So the trails out there, we've been doing a lot of hard work uh, on the you know diplomacy and political side of things to work through all the layers of ensuring that those trails are recognized uh, officially uh, and legally. And so we've been able to build partnerships uh, with with the landowning agencies now to where we are on track for that to be, you know, not only recognized, but also much more sustainable because we're now going to have these like partnering agencies working alongside local volunteers. At the end of the day, having those powerful partners is going to be huge. And so, yeah, Lake Pueblo, you're looking at 45 miles of trails. But the weird thing is it's like 45 miles of trails, and they're great trails, but we can't really talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk about them. Southern, Colorado's, Southern Colorado trail builders can talk about them, and the state park kind of is able to acknowledge that they exist because there's a couple that are technically legal that were built like 400,000 years ago or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then in the meantime, you know, we are able to, you know, market it, get the word out and, you know, we share pictures and stuff. But once it's official, then the trail system, the map will actually be on, you know, the state parks website and they'll be able to talk about it more and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Well, kudos so. to you and your team and all the crew that have been working to get that partnership going and, you know, continuing to be strong. Yeah, it's been it's been really great. And we've had we've had a lot, a lot, a lot of great feedback and and input from the community throughout the process. So you had you had asked me, I guess, prior to we, to us recording just about events, too. Yeah. One thing that is important for us, for that group, for that organization, the Southern Colorado Trail Builders, is that we that we are getting not just biking because uh, it's bigger than that. It's like we want to get people that live in Pueblo outdoors mm-hmm. onto these trails mm-hmm. and on bikes and so we we've been running different clinics throughout the year you know like we call them mountain bike 101s or hiking 101s trail run 101s you know drag people outside and say if you go out for your first trail run if you go out for your first mountain bike ride what do you need and 
lay it all out there and then, you know, lay out the basics of, you know, here's how you want to be positioned on your bike. Here's blah, 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 blah. Ensuring that those people will hopefully feel comfortable enough to get out again, you know, or meet a friend to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's been, we've had a lot of success with that. And then we also just have a big old party at the trails once a year called the Southern Colorado Trails Bash. Well, that's cool. You know, I would, even though I've definitely done my share of biking and it would still be fun to go to a one-on-one type class and have somebody teach me something I didn't know, like what you just said about, you know, sitting in the right position or doing, you know, switching gears at the right time, like that kind of stuff that I probably would be like, I know all that. Mm -hmm. But then I would be like, oh, thank you. That is something new, but... You know, there are some basics that I mean, we have, we have, we also have 201. In that one, I always, and this is for like every cyclist in the world. So everyone that rides bikes that is listening, and I'm guessing it's all of you since you're listening to the Morphology Podcast, <laughs> they're so useful and you can practice them in your driveway. And it doesn't matter if you're going on a tour or you're going on a road ride or you're going on a mountain bike ride or you're going to go ride on your like local community path. The track stand is like the most useful skill ever. Period. It's I will not stand just, by that. It's not just being showman, showmanzy. I mean, of course it's fun, and that's what makes it fun to practice <laughs> in your driveway right. because you'd be like, you know, it's just it's it's a fun competition when you're just learning how to do it. But uh, you know, if you're on on tour, whatever, if you're commuting through town and you need to stop at a red light mm-hmm. and you're riding clipless and you don't have to unclip and put your foot down, or just if you get good enough at the track stand, then you have like you're constantly ready to like ride. If there's something behind you that you need to get out of the way or if you're mountain biking and there's a rock in the trail that you are riding up to uphill and you need to pause for a second to get around it. Well, you can do that if you have the balance. So it's just true. It's very useful. You have better control of your bike. Like if you're able to track stand, you have this much more innate understanding of the behavior of your bike. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it useful. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the track stand itself. It's like understanding the balance that goes into controlling your bike as such. And I would definitely say balance is at the top of my list of things that I need to improve on. So, okay, good tip. I'll I'll accept (laughs) that as a good tip. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Well, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about bike packing because the photos that you have on social media with your bike fully loaded, or at least looks fully loaded, are really, really cool. So I wanted you to tell us a little bit about bikepacking. Yeah, I mean, for me, bikepacking, the things that I, my favorite way to recreate is type two plus fun. Mm. I love it. I mean, if I get to go do something all day, I mean, if I feel like I'm dragging it on, then I'm doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I mean, I used to be a climber and a mountaineer, and I just loved that like sense of really getting immersed. I mean, specifically with mountaineering, you go out and you're probably spending more than a day doing it, even if you're just like going out to camp. So you're not, you know, leaving at two in the morning or whatever. But I love the idea of, of making something more than one day because the experience is just so much more complete mm. for me. Mm-hmm. And also um, what I love about bikepacking versus mountaineering is that depending on where you live, so I will throw that caveat out there because maybe there are places where this simply is not feasible. Uh, Depending on where you live, there's a good chance that you can start the adventure at your front door. Mm -hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. You really sort of can, beyond choosing where you're going, route finding is like 
one of the best parts of the planning. Beyond choosing where you're going, you get to sort of choose how adventure you want that adventure to be. You can choose whether you want to go like ultra heavy and bring a whole bunch of crap and like, you know, a waffle iron and whatever else, (laughs) or you are bringing like a bag of trail mix and a like mylar bivy sack. And, you know, you have it all in a fanny pack Mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. and you're going to do it ultra light and be miserable, but probably still get some sleep. So do you have any luxury items that you carry with you that you don't really need, but you take anyway? Yes. Yes, you do. Okay, let's hear it. When you're on a bike packing trip, you could be on a department store bike that you got used from your grandpa or some vintage mountain bike that is beautiful or something super modern. It doesn't matter. And as long as you have shelter, food, water, you're going to survive right. and some basic bike maintenance stuff. Everything is a luxury. So my answer to that is everything. <laughs> if I'm on one of my fancy bike packing bikes, you know, I have the the salsa cutthroat that is this ridiculous machine that I always feel super bougie riding around on. <laughs> and, you know, the, the frame pack on it is handmade in Denver and it's beautiful. Check out, check out JPEGs, everybody, by All the right. way. JPEGs. JPEGs. But anyhow, yeah, you know, the whole thing is full of it. And then, you know, my stove, like we wouldn't want to take three minutes to boil water with a normal stove. No, it's a jet boil. <laughs> so it only takes a minute. And then, and then beyond that, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, I couldn't just, I couldn't just bring a granola bar. So I have like you know, a cliff builder bar. Yeah. It's even better. And, you know, I could, I could make brown rice, but you know, of course I've got like a backpacker pantry lasagna or some shit. So it, the answer is, Everything, everything. <laughs> everything. And, and that's okay. You know what I mean? It's, well, sure, it's, and right. The beauty of that is that if, if everything is the luxury, if you look at it that way, and I need to learn to look at it this way, is if you understand what your essentials really are, then you're able, when you need to, really pare it down. Mm-hmm. And I need to get better at that. Well, so. and the bottom line is you're still responsible to carry all of it. So if you, you know, have your fancy bags that you can put all this stuff in, then why not? Exactly. Yeah, that is. Yes, that happened on the trip this this weekend. My friend said, I'm glad you brought all that crap because <laughs> I haven't ridden in a while. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's awesome. So for me, yeah, bikepacking, I love it because it forces you to unplug because of the length of time you're gone for. And and it's pretty easy for me to like, I take pictures, but I try to do it with a camera. So I'm not on my phone. Mm. When I'm thinking, like when I'm preparing for a bikepacking trip, that is that is when I feel like it's, it's like half the experience because uh, the anticipation, it almost gives me some sort of solace. Like I know that I'm going to unplug from the world mm-hmm. and it's going to be amazing and I'm going to be on my bike. Mm-hmm. And when you're preparing for a bike packing trip, then it like it sort of forces you to pour over maps. And there's a beauty to maps, in my opinion, whether it's you know physical or digital. You really have to put yourself into that place when you're staring at this thing and problem solve and think, okay, well, I want to be on a dirt road or a trail and I want to make and, you know, I don't want it to be like a busy dirt road. So it probably needs to be kind of a crappy dirt road. Mm-hmm. So I need to look for something that hopefully isn't closed. And so there's there's sort of a lot of unknowns in the process of planning it. And then so with that aspect, I really enjoy the like anticipatory adventure of it where mm-hmm. you're you're sort of exploring it that way. And then with packing your gear, I think it's it's fun in a different way because for me, it's sort of a opportunity to make fun of myself on a regular basis. 
it's every time I pack for a bike packing trip and I lay it a lot, I'm like, God, I know that is way more stuff than I need, but it'll probably all fit. And, you know, you have to you have to think about, OK, well, what, what are the, what's the temperature going to be like? Is it supposed to rain? How hard is it going to rain? Right. I mean, do I need to bring like a Gore-Tex jacket or just like a running jacket thing that is way lighter, but right. way miserable if it's really raining out? And the best part about that prepping and the excitement of it is that when you have, let's say you have everything laying out on your bed, like, oh, right, this is what I absolutely have to take. And then that moment when you realize you don't have the space for all of it, and then you've got to think okay, what am I going to leave behind? Like, <laughs> is it 10% chance of rain or 90% chance of rain? Like, the jacket's not going. So, By the way, you raise a great point there, which I, I don't do, which is trying to whittle it down to the utter essentials. I've never bothered to do that. I just, like, lay it all out. And that makes so much sense. And mm-hmm. then you have to redefine what is essential. Yeah, yeah. In this time of defining what is essential, huh? Right. <laughs> so um, my bikes, so I have, actually, only I have three bikes. Okay. But the... Two that I use for bikepacking are like if I'm going to be going on something that's, you know, gnarlier trails, um, more technical and likely just like rougher. Um, I have a Trek Stash, which is a 29 plus bike, and that's my primary mountain bike. Hmm. And I have, you know, it's, it, it does have a you know suspension fork on it. So for people that want to geek out on it, it's a it's a Trek stash, aluminum frame with a 120 millimeter Fox fork on it, and then a dropper post. And for my longer rides, I threw a Brooks Cambium saddle on it, which has worked really well for me mm-hmm. on the longer rides. Mm-hmm. And then I put a really fancy wheel set on it. That was fun. I saved up for that guy. So it has a carbon wheel set on it from Nexty. Uh, that's who makes the rims and Hope hubs. And I've been really pleased with Hope's hubs. I haven't had any issues with them. I have beat on them real hard for a long time. <laughs> same with the rims. Uh, same with Nexty's rims, actually. They have gone through the ringer. I mean, they have been, that poor hardtail has been enduroed and <laughs> and has been ridden hard, fully loaded. So, I mean, with all my gear and they have been like arrow straight. So that wheel set is bomb proof mm-hmm. and I recommend Nexty and I am like, in no way affiliated with them. They're just awesome. Awesome. And awesome. Um, uh, so that's that's that bike. That's my my mountain bike mountain bike. I have a salsa cutthroat, which was a bike that I drooled over for a very long time. I dream of doing the Tour Divide. So I mean th- that bike, of course. Oh, like yeah. they nailed it with the branding. I mean stupid maps on the down tube. Man, I gotta <laughs> have it. That bike, I just always thought it was so cool because I have, and I will describe my third bike in a moment, but I have like this touring bike. It's a Surly Crosscheck and it's just like, it wants to be a gravel bike, but, but man, it just, it just isn't unless I'm in the mood to be like really rattled around. And so the Cutthroat, it's this, you know, full carbon thing of beauty that runs full size 29 inch tires with these big wide flared out drop bars and it's got its size for a frame bag big enough to fit like a queen size bed i'm pretty sure <laughs> and that bike is so much fun i mean i have been blatantly irresponsible on that bike and it has come through every single time nice yeah, there's something about a bike that is that is light enough to where to really ride on normal gravel roads all day long, and then you could take it down gnarly single track and turn out just fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, this past weekend, a friend and I, he actually also just bought a Cutthroat. Uh, I've had mine for a while, but he was like thinking about it and thinking about it, and I invited him on this trip, and he's like, "That's it," and <laughs> sold. <laughs> yeah, and he and he just got one, and we took those bikes down very steep, very rocky, rutted out trails, and we both lived to tell the tale. Awesome. So, yeah, the Cutthroat, ten out of ten. Adams recommend that bicycle. It's yeah. If I had to, I'd probably keep just that one. And yeah, so that's that's the one that I'll I'll ride if I'm going to be riding something that's 
really long and has doesn't have anything that's particularly crazy or I'll walk it, which yeah. is what we did this past weekend. And and then my third bike is a, is a Surly Crosscheck with Jones bars and like some, you know, uh, Schwalbe Marathon tires on it. And it's from when I worked at a bike shop in graduate school. And so it's like the total bike shop employee bike where it's your Surly <laughs> yeah. frame and like all these fancy bits on it that don't need to be that fancy, but there they are. And that's that bike. <laughs> <laughs> Those are three awesome, awesome options when you're checking out what you're going to ride for that day. Yes. Yeah. And, and the, the Surly does come in handy when, when I'm going to be carrying a ton of stuff because I can put front and rear racks on it. Well, let's get into, it made me think of it when you said, you know, adding lots of stuff on your bike. Your daughter also is into cycling. And from the photos, she looks like she's pretty comfortable, like on a single track. So uh, I'm assuming that that wasn't a staged photo. The, there was a video of her like cruising along on a single track and you're like, kind of coaching her or yelling oh, yeah. or yelling like yeah it's probably yelling, yelling at her to charge it i think i might know the one you're talking about yeah yeah it was, it was definitely wor- words of encouragement and she was like you could tell she was having a blast but how did that progress yeah well i mean we she's been through it <laughs> that's for sure so you know as i explained biking has been a huge part of my life mm-hmm. for a long time for me it was like i wouldn't even say it was an option and i don't mean that as in like she'd be punished if she hated biking because right. that's not the case if she hated it like okay fine i'd suck it up and move on with my life because of how big a part of my li- a part of my life cycling is i just made a point to to ensure that there weren't any barriers like that's something i'm big on whether i'm coaching somebody that i just met or i'm working with my daughter it's like you just try to remove as many barriers as you can mm-hmm. to their enjoyment of it or their learning of it or whatever you know we started her on the strider bike which was key mm-hmm. and that worked really well to get her comfortable and we just always pushed her you know a big part of her learning to ride a bike pretty early on because we got her onto a pedal bike i don't even know maybe it was like three yeah it's all just a blur at this point but yeah you know the whole time that she was learning we just made a point of of removing any barriers that that could have possibly kind of snagged the progress mm-hmm. for her so you know we started around on the strider bike so she could get the balance first instead of the training wheels and everyone has their own methods it's just this is what worked for us mm-hmm. and it's what worked really well from the Strider bike, we made a point of I wanted to avoid anything that she would have to relearn. So I didn't want to have a coaster brake because I knew that when she went onto her bigger bike after her first pedal bike, like oh, anything sure. beyond a 16 inch, it's you know you're not going to want it to be a coaster brake because if you're doing anything long or technical, it's just it's awkward. Mm-hmm. So we made a point of getting getting a bike and investing investing in a bike that was one that like you know had a freewheel. Which seems really simple, but it's really hard to find a bike with a free wheel that's 16 inch. It's kind of crazy, actually. And from there, you know, we just always rode with her. We always pushed her. And and when she was learning, there were all these different, <laughs> all these different phrases that when we're when we're working through the difficulties of this, that just became like mantras. And one of the big <laughs> ones was, you know, do we cry or do we try? Ooh, and that's nice. one. That's one that we still that we still use. Um, <laughs> You know, another one, how do we get better at anything? And that was one point I wanted to make it clear. Like, it's not just biking that you can get better at with practice. It's anything. And mm-hmm. so since she was three and we're practicing the bike, it's always been, you know, if she's feeling frustrated with something, it's like, Cora, how do we get better at anything? Practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then speaking of practice, like, what are some of her skills that she has? You know, I mentioned, uh, maybe it's a spoiler alert. I already mentioned single track, but does she go bikepacking with you? So she hasn't gone mountain bike packing with me yet, but we did ride the Mickelson Trail 
Oh. in uh south dakota we rode that together so so last summer so she was she was six when we did that the mickelson trail so we did uh, it was about 130 miles i think that we did oh and she pedaled yeah. yeah yeah yeah. she pedaled the whole time so she rode her own bike um and that's when she was yeah so she was on her 20 inch her her bike was a was a 16 inch spawn something i forget which model it is but it was spawns 16 inch bike and that was like their little three-wheel front and rear v-brakes kids bike that was you know lightweight and then for her 20 inch bike we had put her on an orbea mx20 disc mm. or something like that i think is the name but she made a point of like searching for bikes that were that wouldn't be any barrier, you know, and, and her second bike, it had disc brakes and like a seven speeds and just like the full gamut of, of, of a grown up bike, but it was 20 wow. inch pretty much. And a six year old, like learning, you know, how to shift gears and using disc brakes. That's, that's epic. Well, that's, I mean, kids are capable of so much more than we give them credit for. It's just that you have to put the time in. And that's what I, that's why uh, whenever I talk to parents about this, cause I've had friends ask, you know, like, how can we get Jimmy to do that? And the answer is you got to go out and you got to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, leading up to that trip to ride the Mickelson trail with her, we're looking at doing, you know, 20 to 30, I think eight miles was our longest day on that trip. And so we couldn't just jump into that. That's a recipe for disaster. Right. And so we drew out a training plan and we had like, you know, taken a really cool picture of her on her bike and like printed it on this thing. And it had, there was like a graph. And so that way we could, you know, color in the squares of like the miles that we did each day and build up. And, you know, we, we would go out, you know, every other day and we would intentionally say like, okay, on this date, we're planning on doing 10 miles because we live right next to the Arkansas river. Well, not on it, but we're near it. And there's a, there's a river trail that goes through Pueblo. Oh, okay. And you can throw down 20 miles of uninterrupted, pedestrian and cycling trail with no cars none right nice. next to the river so we would ride in that river trail there were times you know and on the longer rides there were times where she was she was super pissed you know she's a six-year-old she want to deal with that <laughs> <laughs> and um and that's what that's where you're really paying your dues as a parent you know to to get your kid used to riding a bike for that long to get them used to shifting gears and understanding what the front brake is versus the rear brake and how they feel different when you mm -hmm. use them you need to be out there. I mean, a lot of times it's it's easy to just want to, you know, go for a short ride with the kids and then go do your own thing. But it's an investment you make because then they're ready to play at your level way sooner. You know, we spent probably three or four months building up to get ready for this long tour. Nice. And, you know, then on the tour, all but the, the days that were literally all uphill, she was pedaling herself. So we did, you know, the, the Mickelson Trail all on our own bikes. And, you know, dad was the pack mule <laughs> loaded down <laughs> on the good old cross check. And on the steeper hills on that trip, we used this thing that was called the uh, WeHoo or not, not a WeHoo. That's like the Sea did thing. Um, I don't know. It's it's some weird Yahoo sounding name, but it's it's essentially like a ski joring, stretchy nylon webbing thing hmm. that uh, you girth hitch around your seat post or in my case, the back of my rack. And then clipped it onto a loop on the on her stem, and so so that way, like if I'm pulling her, it's not like a sharp shock; it's kind of stretchy. Okay, but she's and, still um, on her own bike. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, she's still yeah. on her own bike cool. completely. I mean, she still has to steer, and and the rule was is that because I could feel if she wasn't pedaling, and so when we were on that tour, every time we're on a hill, if she stopped pedaling, I'd say, Cora, I'm gonna cut the umbilical cord, and then you're gonna have to walk <laughs> your bike up this thing. <laughs> 
And yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, some parents are probably going to listen to hear that and be like, man, that's really harsh. And the answer <laughs> is, yes, it is. But boy, does it work. Right, right. <laughs> you know, in biking yeah. with a family, uh, especially when you have young, young kids like that, it's definitely a completely different experience than when you're out with the guys, you know, doing whatever it is that guys do when they have their bikes packed up. But like you said, the reward is so worth the effort that you put in ahead of time. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And actually, uh, something you said there reminds me of something that is that is equally important to her, you know, training to be able to push herself to do this. And that is the fact that she is training, just training and learning how to try hard through things. And specifically as a girl, I mean, we're fortunate that we have a lot of very powerful, awesome, badass women in our life that she gets to look up to. Um, But through this whole time of whether it's, uh, you know, with swimming or with, she loves swimming um, or with biking or, you know, anything, she loves the idea of the tough girl. We've made a point of tying that together with this. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that like we've, we've always made a point of not only just, you know, when we're, when we're working through things with her, Mm -hmm you know, reminding her like, yeah, you're tough. You're great. That's, that's what girls can be if they want to be and all these things. But also, you know, if she, she always notices, like if we're watching a bikepacking movie, cause man, we, we, we watch a lot of those on bikepacking.com. <laughs> that is a, that is a fantastic resource. But if there isn't a girl, whether it's like in a biking movie or in a book we're reading or something, she'd be like, well, where are the girls? Nice. <laughs> As she should question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> The trips with her and getting her ready, it's been one of the most rewarding things that I've done as a parent because it is something that is a huge part of my life. It is one of the things that has given me the independence and the confidence that I have. I mean, mm-hmm. at least, you know, part of that foundation. And I get to share it with her. You know, I mean, she wants when I went on my trip, like she wanted to go. She wants to go on these things. Mm-hmm. And she sort of like she understands what suffering is, too. Um, I mean, I always joke with her after rides or races that I've done, like, how was it, dad? Like, ah, oh, you know, it was good. I suffered. And she had done this. <laughs> there's a there's a triathlon in town called the mini mortals. You know, so it's something like it's all like shortish distances, but it's still enough to make them hurt. And when she finished that last year, which was the first time she'd done it, it's like, Cora, how was it? She's like, I suffered. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> And, you know, obviously we are uh, recording this. We're still deep in this pandemic with COVID-19. With that set aside, do you guys have adventures that you're hoping to do this summer or this yet this spring? Yes, actually. So there's a bikepacking route that we really want to do this summer and we had been planning to do as a family. Mm-hmm. And we just we just got a mountain bike for my wife. Uh, a Jameis Dragon Slayer. Mm. I'm pretty excited about with the best name ever. Yeah. And and Cora to screw out of her 20 inch. We just got her a new bike too. Um, it's been a bike buying year in, for the ladies. Uh, but we just got her a Cleary Scout 24 inch. Okay. And then added a bunch of really shiny purple bits. And people should totally go look at that thing on my Instagram because it is gorgeous. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So we are going to load up and when it feels responsible to do so, because I mean, these small mountain towns, I'm very mindful of not going into town to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to avoid that if we can. 
if it becomes feasible and responsible, there's a route outside of Salida that is listed on bikepacking.com, and it's called the, like, maybe Aspen Ridge Family Overnighter. So I think it even has family in the title. It's one that's not crazy. It's on gravel roads. It is aptly named because there's, like, Aspens along the route, mm. and thus lots of nice shady spots to rest when it's necessary. And it's only, like, 35 miles or something like that. It's pretty short. That was the route that I wanted to take uh, both my wife and Cora on for their first bikepacking proper experience sure. because it's it's we get to get out of Dodge, which always feels good because, you know, there's nothing familiar. So it's harder to worry about the things you're familiar with, mm -hmm. you know, work or the dogs or whatever, anything. The things a seven year old worry about worries about, you know, who knows? Yeah, I had some other ones planned, but I just don't think I don't know if it's if it's feasible. You know, we we had a full adventure sheet for this summer. Like I wanted to do a section of the Colorado Trail. I wanted to do that solo and it's it just wasn't something that I think I don't think it could happen now, mm. you know. Um, so another one that I wanted to do the oh they call it the Aspen Ridge Loop. That's the one in Salida. And Salida is an awesome, awesome little mountain town in Colorado with an amazing biking scene. Mm -hmm. It is phenomenal. A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. And then also out of Salida, there is a route called the Vapor Trail. And that is a much more technical bikepacking route. So that's one that I was going to do solo or, or with friends that were up to it. But that one goes through like old mining camps and Ooh, through that uses the Monarch Crest Trail, which is like one of the best sections of mountain bike trail yeah. in the country. It's amazing. So, yeah, but with the family, Aspen Ridge Loop is, is up there. And then we're going to have to kind of get creative because... Yeah, we just need to see what's feasible, mm -hmm. you know, at this point. So but right. we've been doing a lot of rides out at Lake Pueblo and we found a new a new opportunity to like, you know, get out there and then jump in the lake and then and then keep rolling, which is a good a good refresher, especially for like the mermaid creature right. that is my daughter <laughs> and wants to <laughs> wants to be in the water at all times. Well, I have just one more question for you and yeah. it's uh, about inspiration. Based on all your experience and, you know, being able to be out with your daughter and out with your friends and bikepacking, what would you tell people who have the dream to bike pack but they haven't pulled the trigger yet? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. It makes me want to sit down with all of them and, and just chat about what they're afraid of. Not, well, let me rephrase that. Not what they're afraid of because I, I don't think it's fear that stops people. I feel like it's it's um, it's just uh, like a lack of I, – I, I, don't, I don't think people like to feel afraid. I don't think that that's a good way to describe them. Um, the people who haven't done it yet, though, I think it's, it's just maybe not feeling ready. Um, and, yeah, yeah. and I think that the key barriers there – for people. I was just talking about this exact thing with, with my friend Mike over the weekend. I'd like to circle back to your question, but these are, there are two key skills that I think are super important. And one is going to make people laugh, and the other one's going to seem like a no-brainer. I'll start with the no-brainer, and that is fixing a flat. 
I think that that is one of the barriers to people doing longer rides, right? If I ride my bike 20 miles somewhere where I'm allowed to camp and I get a flat, that is going to be this whole process and I'm going to be frustrated or maybe I'll be embarrassed or whatever if I have to make a phone call and get picked up. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a bummer. And so knowing how to fix a flat is one of the biggest barriers to people going on longer bike rides Mm -hmm. or overnighters. And so that is a skill that I insist that people practice. And you can do it on YouTube. You can go to the store. You can buy a couple tubes, uh, tire levers, whatever. Just Google what you need to fix a flat. Don't use a screwdriver. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ruin your tires. But And it's easy so. to pack those simple, you know, the tire lever, a spare tube, or even a patch kit if you're not into carrying a tube. So, exactly. you know, you learn it and then carry it with you. Exactly. And so that's something people can practice at home. Mm -hmm. That's a skill they can build at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one you can't build at home, or at least unless you like don't live close to neighbors. The second one is pooping in the woods. (laughs) Right. Most people can handle the pee thing. They can make it happen. Pooping in the woods is a different animal. (laughs) And that is the other thing that I think is a barrier to people bikepacking or camping for that matter. If there are not bathrooms at the camp at the campground where Mm -hmm. they're camping. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for I think that pooping in the woods is like the barrier for people that might be interested in like backcountry overnight experiences because they've never learned how to do it well without it being like super awkward or like potentially disgusting if they have not executed properly. I mean, there are some there are some very unfortunate experiences one could have by doing this wrong. And (laughs) and it's totally feasible to do it right and like actually enjoy it or at least feel clean when you're done. Yes, (laughs) feel better than holding it until you get home. (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. And so that's that's the other thing that's a barrier to bikepacking is pooping in the woods. And that's another one that like, I don't know, maybe I need to make a video for this. I've never bothered pooping in the woods because I feel like I was fortunate enough to have been trained from an early age and Cora totally is, that is key. Yeah, she's all about it. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) It's it's I think it's the barrier. I mean, long bike rides, you need to be able to fix a flat. Otherwise, that's like the barrier that'll stop you. Yep. Uh, And then overnight in the backcountry. What if I need to poop? Oh, man, that's the thing. So so those are the two skills. I was going to say, if you take those two skills, um, one of them, you can easily YouTube. The other one, probably not. So you'd have to just really put some thought into it. Maybe practice in your backyard or something or on, on a bucket. I mean, Who I would poop in your backyard. I don't think you need to actually like, yeah, I need to think about this. Yeah. And I was going to say, people who follow you on Instagram can message you personally and get your tips. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Maybe I need to make a video. Maybe. You know? Yeah. That's going to be my pants my on. Of course. Pants $4 on. revenue. Oh yeah, of course. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make dozens of cents on YouTube with this idea. Okay, cool. I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, be your first sponsor. Yeah. So uh, what would I tell people who have the dream to bike pack? The answer to that is you should go do it. As yeah. long, I mean, all you need to do is make sure that the weather is good. Don't go when, uh, you know, avoid the days with crappy weather. You know, remove the barriers that you can. So like the pooping thing, the tube thing, remove those barriers. Learn how to do it first so you don't have to worry about it. Check the weather. Make sure that you're going on the days where it's at least reasonable. If Mm -hmm. it's going to be potentially miserable and you don't have the gear for it, you don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So remove that barrier. 
save it for when the weather is good and then um don't overthink it you know if you don't oh my gosh i don't have anything to cook like bring four snickers bars you will survive right <laughs> and you know you don't need a camelback you could bring a gallon jug of water in like a ten dollar backpack yep. from walmart yep. it doesn't matter and I think that that's one of the more important things to remember is that you don't need fancy gear. And what's been refreshing about, you know, there's I feel like there's a whole spectrum of the bikepacking culture. And it runs from like the salsa cutthroats of the world. And like I feel so bougie riding that thing, but I love that bike. And, you know, with these fancy custom bags and all that jazz and like ultra light sleeping bag and blah, 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 blah. And then on the flip side of that, you have somebody riding like, you know, a 1991 rock hopper in the Silk Road race that actually happened. I'm pretty sure that's what he was riding. But there was a, I mean, it's just like a, a bike that you could buy used for 50 bucks. Right. That's going to hold up just fine. Right. Or you're it's really just the sense of adventure and a little bit of planning. And removing the barriers that you can. So, I mean, the weather, uh, the skills to make sure that you're being safe, mm -hmm. and then bringing the critical things. I mean, if you have like a tarp and a gallon of water, a thousand calories with you, you are not going to die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'll probably have an amazing time, right. even if the weather is crap and a raccoon eats half your food. Right. So, And the best part of even those crappy adventures is once you get home and get over it and take a shower, it becomes some of the best stories to share. Exactly. I like to say that adversity is the spice of life. Yeah. And another thing is time is the ultimate currency. So if you're thinking of bikepacking, don't spend your time thinking about it. Just like Just do break it. down those barriers yeah. and go do it. Awesome. Well, uh, before I say goodbye, do you want to plug your uh, trail building association? Like I assume it's nonprofit or is there any other organizations you want to give a shout out to? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, if people want to be in Southern Colorado yeah. um, and they want to check it out. So there are some great organizations down here, but the, I mean, Southern Colorado Trail Builders is the main trail advocacy group in Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And our website is either lakepueblotrails.org or southerncoloradotrailbuilders.org. And then we also have a neighboring group right over in Canyon City, which is not too far from us. And they are joinfar.org. So that's for Fremont Adventure Recreation. And they're doing some incredible stuff over there. Mm. Honestly, there are there are some really impressive groups that are doing great work in Salida, like the Salida Mountain Trails group is doing great work. And here I am rambling. But if you're interested, if you want to learn more about routes and events and things that make us feel inspired and on fire, go to lakepueblotrails.org or southerncoloradotrailbuilders.org to learn more yeah. or follow us on Facebook. Well, Adam, what a treat this has been. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you so much for being on the show, and I look forward to uh, seeing your next adventures on social media. Oh, yeah. They'll be there. <laughs> and, yeah, I look forward to, to listening to more of your podcasts. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. A big thank you to Adam for taking the time to come on the show. Go to southerncoloradotrailbuilders.org to find out more about Pueblo Trails. 
And of course, if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to morphologypodcast.com to find all kinds of good info. And I recently launched a YouTube channel. So if you want to see videos of the places I bike, check that out. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote comes from Arthur Conan Doyle. When the spirits are low, when the day appears dark, when work becomes monotonous, when hope hardly seems worth having, just mount a bicycle and go out for a spin down the road without thought on anything but the ride you're taking. Think about it.